So welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed our um, first uh, podcast. It was interesting as far as understanding where <clears throat> policing finds itself rooting. I think I used the term on our last podcast uh, where we are today. We came from 1619 to eight minutes and 46 seconds. And, and this movement is, is currently happening. And uh, so today what we, we're going to kind of talk about a little bit is, uh, and again, Another shout out to Dr. Charles Johnson at NCCU, history professor assistant guy. He uh, sent us some information. We've been doing a little bit of homework on that. And what we want to talk about today is, is uh, civil rights. Uh, 2020, is, is this Gen Z's, Gen X, and, and millennials, is this their civil rights movement? So before we kind of get too far into that, I just want to say hey to my co-host for those of you that might be joining us for the first time and if you get a chance go back to to talk to uh talk to everybody uh about what's going on so from the last time so hopefully you'll get to, if you if you like and this is the first time maybe go back and and see a little bit more about who we are um and, and why we do it but we're going to reintroduce ourselves just briefly so if this is the first time so my name is bj council and i'm retired deputy police chief with the city of durham and i started this business called you and five oh um, so basically, uh, UN 50 was created to, to help black and brown folks interact safely with the police. And <clears throat> that's what it's about. No, nothing else. I'm not trying to make anybody like the popo. That's not what I'm about. Um, uh, this came about on trying to get bodies home. And, uh, in this moment, um, I think it's, it's needed, but then also we want to figure out a way to help people navigate how to get the police agencies that they want. So we'll be having uh, some conversations from different folks, bringing some folks in and uh, having the conversation to help those of you that are out there and wouldn't mind having this presentation to come to you and or just how to navigate uh, holding your agencies accountable. Um, but the bottom line is we support everybody hearing everybody. That's one thing that we, that we always will support that. We got to be at the table and we got to hear each other to, to make this thing work. So the first person I want to introduce you to is uh, Harmony Chavis. She's been with me since the, basically the conception of this business. And uh, hey, Harmony. Hey, BJ. Hey, all. <laughs> so my name is Harmony Chavis. I am a social worker by profession and have spent quite a bit of time working in the nonprofit sector. Um, so as I said in the last podcast, I am passionate about the quote unquote least of these um, and feel as if that is, you know, my life's work. Yeah. And radical. But go ahead. And being radical. Yes. Being radical <laughs> in all things that I do. <laughs> Radical in self-love, radical in kindness, radical in correcting folks and calling <laughs> folks out, <laughs> radical in snatching souls. So I am definitely radical, and that is that is something that I wear with uh, with pride. Yes, she does. I love her for it. So <laughs> then we have uh, Andrew. What's up, big boy? Hey, on B. On B. On B. It's BJ. BJ is on B. Um, so I'm the nephew of the founder of UN50. If um, you haven't watched the first episode, but I'm a rising senior at UNT Greensboro. Currently studying media and journalism, um, and I've experienced different things being in different facets of life. Um, so just trying to survive out here as a Gen Zer, as a Black Gen Zer. Gen Z. I mean, so isn't that the end of the alphabet? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, technically, I don't know what the next generation will be. I think our <laughs> I generation reaches out to like, to like yeah. twenty ten. I think so. So I think if you're born in twenty ten, like that's the last year of Gen Z. Okay, so I think. Maybe What's the not. Next, what, what are they going to call the next generation? There's, there's what, what? 
I have no idea. I mean, I, I, th- I mean, really seriously, know. I'm just kind of like, what? What is that conversation going to be like? Z, uh, double Z. Oh, our producer said double Z, so they're they're going to be the sleepy. My computer is actually <laughs> typing Z's. That was <laughs> that was my computer just typing those Z's. No! <laughs> it says they're called Generation Alpha. That's what they'll be called. The, oh, okay. Um, they'll be born at from 2011 until 2025. Oh wow! Wow, poor babies. Mm. <laughs> but you know i know it's kind of off top but who makes these names up how do they come up with that stuff you know? no idea i know right i know okay so i digress because i'm an old person i'm a boomer amongst the these individuals so uh, and that's another reason that that they're here with me as well not because you know well my nephew's here because i believe in nepotism but one thing that we <laughs> want to talk about <laughs> is the fact as a boomer i don't want to lose perspective as to what young black folks are seeing out on the street you know, and then especially with, um, yeah, I met, met Harmony and her radical, she says radical and doesn't mean, you know, like, you know, being really abusive. Like extremist, radical, not extremist. Yes. Not extremist. Yeah, she loves folks, but she's just really radical about just sorry and into it and just making sure that we all are leading with passion and love and, and looking at things from a different perspective. And my, my nephew also helps make, and he's going to help make me make sure I understand and see that in what I do. Uh, Cause these are black bodies out here that are still being killed. These are young black bodies. But in this moment, you know, what we want to kind of hit on today, is this their civil rights now in this 2020 uh, just today, um, today uh, that we're recording this, came out, showed a picture of a, of a woman named Samantha. I don't, can't remember her last name, but a white male was standing in front of her with his hands fist, with his hands clenched extremely tight. And he was basically above her and just staring at her a little bit. And she just stared back, holding her sign that says, say their names. And she never broke eye contact with him. I mean, just stared at him and never moved. And they took a photo of that. And one of the morning shows are basically saying that photo as far as they were concerned was just as iconic as elizabeth eckford in 1957 as she was trying to go and be segregated into predominantly white school where she's surrounded by white kids i'm sure they were calling her lovely names and she was just quietly trying to walk toward the school and so they're trying to not trying to they're they're trying to push the, and i'm okay with that that samantha's with this white man during this moment she's standing there with her rona uh, thing around her face <laughs> is, is is this i this is their iconic moment for this moment the civil rights so we want to just kind of hit on a little bit as to if we think this is the civil rights for the gen z's and the gen and the millennials and uh how it looks you know in comparison to you know john lewis and 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 those bodies that were out there getting it done the rosa parks and stuff is this really do you, you know, do you think that people are, I think that the language, the conversation is being had that it is. So I just kind of want to know how you guys feel about that. Um, I guess personally, I think, I think this is our movement. And I think it's a lot of things just for young people to have, be able to speak up. And something that Harmony mentioned was, um, I think it's very important to make an intention to not just do it because it's cool, but just to do it because you, you actually have a belief um, in what people are standing for, what the movement is trying to push. Um, and I see a lot of people, people my age and people I go to school with and just happen to be in different circles with attending these protests and trying to educate themselves to make sure that they are you know, trying to be prosperous and trying to make sure that they're not allowing this time to pass pass us by. Because I know one thing that 
a lot of my friends and I were sitting and talking about during our discussion was like, what, when we have children and they look back on these, whether they be in history books or we, they just read about this or they just hear through the grapevine and being told by their parents and they ask us, where were y'all when this happened? Yeah, what does what does what do we want the answer to be? Do we want the answer to just we just kind of watch this on Twitter, or we just kind of watch it on TV, or do we want to say like we're out there? You may see a picture of me out there on a protest, or me on a, a marching um, for right. our rights and stuff like that. So that's the kind of question that we've been discussing in our groups. Wow, wow. So are your friends out there protesting? A few of them are, and I, I had a friend that goes to A and T that was in Charlotte. They got um, pepper spray, not pepper spray, mace, um, um, and tear gas, actually. Um, so she talked about the story of her getting tear gas for the first time. Um, so it's, it's scary, very scary, but I know she does, she's doing it for a purpose. Right. Right. Okay, Ms. Radical. Personally, oh, sorry, BJ, go ahead. No, no, I was just, I was just introducing you as Ms. Radical. So what oh. are you? <laughs> I was about to say, I'm, I'm personally so impressed by the tenacity that, that people your age, Andrew, are showing. Like, these are college students, and I remember being in college and, like, doing these die-ins um, at UNCG, actually, in front of the CAF. Like, I remember doing that. And mm -hmm. I think that there is so much at stake right now, um, not only, like, in regards to social justice, but what it means for a black person especially like still in college to get arrested you know i'm not sure how that could potentially affect financial aid right. it sure as hell can affect you getting a job i mean even from for much less just for being black or because your name has you know eight letters instead of five um right. so i just i just admire the tenacity that these younger people um younger than me even um, have when when fighting these injustices and saying you know what like I know that there's a lot at stake but I don't care I'm, I'm gonna do it anyway and I don't think that I was that brave initially when I first started doing this work well yeah so so basically you got and I, I believe it is I, th I think you know like I said I think this is this is the moment and then you know, just kind of looking at, and you, you guys had to help me on this as far as the history, because reading this this information that uh, Dr. Johnson gave us about uh, slave patrols, and, and it worked his way. And it, this particular guy's name is Larry H. Spool that wrote this particular research. He's a professor of history at a Morehouse College. He looked at the Department of Justice report from um, Michael Brown. I mean, yes, is that my Ferguson? Michael Brown. Yeah, Michael Brown. Yeah, and and also is. Isn't Michael Brown the catalyst for Black Lives Matter? Yeah, that's where it started because it was hands up, don't shoot was the big thing. Yes, exactly. And so he, what he's, you know, he's talking about, and he's kind of, he's also tying in kind of from my first uh, podcast, you know, slave patrols and the tactics that they used then. And, and basically they used dogs uh, back then, called it packs of Negro dogs. And that's, and then when you kind of look at what's happening, I think, maybe that's one thing that's kind of missing from what's happening we don't really see dogs you know but we you know looking at even from when i was what i forgot one of my buddies sent me some video of these protesters uh were down below but officers were kind of above them mm -hmm. and they and they were shooting at i mean they were using rubber bullets and they were just shooting down into the protest and I was like, uh, uh, you know, so that, I've never shot a, a gun that had a, a, a rubber bullet. I have no idea what kind of impact it has on the body. Uh, but what was disturbing for me as a, as a retired police executive was it almost as peer, appeared as it was if it was um, they were on the firing range just practicing shooting. 
mm-hmm. at these individuals. And I just thought, how that just is not a good look, y'all. And 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 what people are out there. And then I saw a young woman on, I don't know, anyway, a young woman on Facebook, she had this big knot dent in her head because she had been hit by a rubber bullet. And I'm going, mm-hmm. oh, this is, oh my goodness. So, and, and, and this guy is talking about, you know, tying that slavery, this into Ferguson, because he, what he found out, the Department of Justice found out that Ferguson used dogs. And most of the dogs that were used in Ferguson's were on black bodies. Mm-hmm. And they did not really use, uh, wasn't, when, when I said, uh, reporting it, how they wrote, uh, wrote the report up and, and things like that. And he, I thought it was interesting the way he said this. He said, this, all, this was a significant information, but because uh, this was significant information and because it got lost in the media and the slang and all that was going, nobody paid attention. Because this was what the department, you know, you, they would have been able to go back and go, you guys have really been doing some crazy stuff. But because of all the, like you said, hands up, don't shoot. Because he actually says the slogans, the way the media was portraying it. When this report came out, they did not talk about this type of stuff. This department was using dogs just like they used during slave patrol. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, the only thing, just based on this, the only thing missing from this movement are dogs. You know, because they it, they're just they're just wearing uniforms now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so, mean, it's yeah. It is. A, it is a lot of like I've, I've seen a couple of videos of the, the rubber bullets being shot into protesters and stuff, and I've seen people who like lost eyes and lost um, like actually doing the different things from the rubber, rubber bullets. And I've read a, I tried to read a little bit of like up about what can like what makes up a rubber bullet and exactly and i don't think it's actually full rubber i think there's something else like else inside of it or something that's causing people to be hurt by these things because i don't know if it's the projectile the way it's being shot or something like that but another thing another video that i watched that you reminded me of was there was a police officer i'm not sure in what city but somebody recorded the police officer getting ready to um to engage with protesters and he looked like he was having fun he was smiling and he was he just looked like he was Oh, wow. engaged and had a lot of adrenaline to go out and to get protesters and uh, it kind of just makes me think about just like the mental health screening or things that happen before they become police officers because it's like how is this man able to like forget my like you know my language, how did y'all let this man out like uh, where where he was like how what type of training did he have like who let this man come out and be a police officer to do these things to these protesters but mm-hmm. it's a lot of a lot of a whole lot of yeah you know the the thing is when you you don't have what do you have to work with as law enforcement we really don't we don't we don't have a lot we're thinking what we have is especially on this scale you know and and mm-hmm. we're trying to figure we're trying we're almost trying to figure out what do we do in this moment and we and we consider this less than lethal force in you know in our world you may not agree with that but that's that's all we because we don't want to kill anybody but we got to do something to keep you from doing what you're doing and the and the only option we have in this system is this thing and obviously Mm -hmm. at some point the decisions were made across the country stop using that because you know it's kind of it's messing people up so it it was almost it's like we we have to use what we have to use and and that's that's all we have because that's the system that's that's how we operate and we're not really you know it just it just it just looks bad you know, it, it just looks bad because we get 
you know, group think this is how we need to do that. But we also got to be and the other part of the people, you know, we got to make sure the officers are saying, you know, we want to go home because I get, I'm not saying that uh, what I get is when you have people throwing things at you because you want to go home mm-hmm. too. I mean, they, you know, you're freezing your water, you're throwing rocks and stuff and, and there's a fear factor. Um, but you know, we just got to figure out what that looks like. So yeah, it, it, it definitely looks like the civil rights as before. And I, the thing is, you know, you said you were talking about to your friends, whether or not they would be able to, as they sit in their rocking chairs, be able to tell their grandsons or granddaughters what they did. Um, but they also got to figure out, you know, what, you know, did they do, was it, was it worth it? You know, will they also be yeah. able to sit in a rocking chair and go, yep, we did that. And you can do this because we did that. You know, and there's no more such because of that. You know, hopefully that's not the only conversation. Yeah, I was out there. I got hit. But because I did now there was police reform. That that's that's what I hope is a lot different than the first civil. I mean, even though there was a lot that happened from the first civil rights, I'm not not please don't anybody take think I'm not doing saying that. It's just now hopefully this will be the moment that, you know, they can say, yeah, you know, something happened. Does that make sense? It does. And when you were saying like now police are quote unquote using what they have, you know, I think that they probably thought the same thing about using dogs and about using hoses yeah. to, you know, maintain yeah. crowd control. So it's yes. like, okay, how, how yeah. much do we excuse, how much do we say is reasonable for, for control? And right. at what point do we say, okay, this is just not acceptable. You know, and so I, I hear what you're saying, and, like, I definitely think a rubber bullet is probably better than a real bullet, and I understand, you know, the fear factor that goes into it, but is it really worth shooting somebody in the eye? And a lot of these have been done at peaceful protests, and I'd like to mention this, too. A lot of protests are starting off peaceful, and they're being antagonized by police, and then when they're reacting by throwing rocks and bottles, that's the part that the media gets. That's the narrative that that these people are getting is okay. They're automatically being reactive and, and violent towards police, which is not the case. There have been so many instances where riot police are destroying uh, materials for protesters like food and water. So, you know, I do hear you, but I also think that it's important to note that we had the same conversation back then. Well, they're, they're only using water hoses. They're only using dogs. At least they're not right. shooting. Right. 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 And so right. now we're moving, well, at least they're not using dogs, they're using rubber bullets. So right. at a yeah. point, I think we have to say enough is enough. If somebody needs to burn down a building, and I'm, I'm not saying for all instances, right, but, but this has been 400 years of compounded trauma and rage and anger and fear that is, you know, this one big boiling point. I, for one, you know, I don't like when people say, well, I don't support looting and, and burning down things, but then subconsciously say that they support it. I support black folks doing what they need to do in order to get the results that we've seen. And I think personally, it's not only because we have the leader that we have and the narrative um, is a lot easier for white folks to understand than I think it was when Obama was president because we're post-racial and we're beyond that. But Mm -hmm. now that they see that we've elected this, I'm elected this person uh, because I'm trying to watch my language. Um, you know, I, I think it's a lot easier for white people to empathize with because now they feel like their own rights are infringed upon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I, and I, I just wonder, you know, would this have been different if Obama was a pre- was the president, or if we had another president of color? Because people are so convinced that we're a post racial society that doesn't need to address these issues. Right. Right. And you know what? I appreciate you bringing that part about the media too. I was looking at uh, the town hall that they did uh, with the, with Obama not too long ago. It was a week before last mm-hmm. or something. And, and, and the uh, gentleman that's on the city council in Minneapolis, and he was talking about protesting. And he was like, don't get it twisted. There are a lot of peaceful protestings that are going on. It's just the media is putting that part out there when there is a lot, you know, it said, yes, there may be that, you know, you may see some looting or destruction of property at a certain part of town, but over on this side of town, the protest is going on and they're extremely peaceful. It, it's, it's what you're being fed. Uh, and then it feeds into that, you know, they're tearing up stuff. And it, not that they're not doing it, but just know there's probably more peaceful demonstrations going on than the media leads us to believe. And so, and I, and it, because people really want to, they want a resolution. You know, they really want a resolution, I believe. I mean, I, I'm just going to, you know, I guess my boomer in me is like, let's just, you know, hold hands and do what we got to do, you know, without tearing up stuff. But nobody really wants to. I mean, you just, they just, just, it's all about how, how you, what the narrative stuff is fed to you and right. how it looks. And, and so, yeah, go ahead. You know, Sorry. what I, what was also interesting to me is, you know, I hear what you're saying, you know, like some of these, these protests are peaceful. So what if they're not? So what, you know, uh, um, a glass of a CVS has been busted in. So what a target is set on fire. So what people went into Walgreens and stole some medication. So what? That doesn't mean that somebody needs to be shot in the eye with a rubber bullet and their life, you know, permanently altered because now they have a disability that they have to, you know, learn to deal with and learn to live with. So I also think that that's a part of the narrative that we have to be conscious about when we're talking about it, right? Because it's almost like saying, you know, just because it's peaceful that they don't deserve some type of police intervention. I don't care. You know what I mean? Unless you're physically harming another person, like you're harming a police and they feel like their life, literally, not just, oh, I feel threatened, but their life is actually in danger. Or if there's a store owner who's being beaten, then I understand the intervention. But property, like people are more important to property. And I think that that's the issue of the capitalistic society that we live in. We value profit over people. We value property over people. Um, and, and we can't do that. We can't effectively as a society say that we're kind and we're caring and we're inclusive if we still have this very primal, old and outdated understanding of where we attribute value, um, and, and where we should start to use force. And that's, that's the real issue that I have with these protests is that, well, they weren't, they were peaceful. Who cares? You don't have to be peaceful. That doesn't mean you should be shot in the face with a rubber bullet. Police aren't peaceful. Are we allowed to fire back? Of course not, because then you're going to jail. Right. 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 And, and um, let me just piggyback on what you just said. The position, I thought it was really interesting and, and really cool based on what you just said, the way the mayor did um, uh, the, 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 the police substation that they burned in Minneapolis. Right. He said, mm-hmm. get out of the building. It's just a building. And I thought that was so cool because it, it's, just, it's just a building. I don't need you police officers in there getting hurt, or I don't need you in there standing up for the last Alamo and, and shooting at people because somebody's trying <laughs> to just 
You, you know, I mean, seriously, I mean, that's, that's where I went. No, you don't need to be standing at the fort, you know, holding the fort down, trying to make sure that nobody tears it up. Get out of the building. Let it go. We can build another building. Your life, killing somebody over a piece of property just is not worth it. And I just thought that was so cool of him to take that stance. A lot of people at first kind of like, Ooh, that's, that, Ooh, you don't have to build it. And he was like, it's, it's, it's a building. It's right, a building. It. Yeah. Let it burn. You know, and nobody gets hurt except the building. So yeah, I appreciate that. Were you anything, uh, Drew? Something that I was thinking about as y'all were talking about, like the building thing that we mentioned, the, the female who mentioned the Monopoly analogy uh-huh. in, on my last podcast. But her name is Kimberly Jones, and she's an author of a book called um, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. Um, and she, uh, in her, her rant that she was going on talking about, she was saying, like, she's, she's y'all are lucky that Black people are looking for justice and not revenge. And I thought, like, that was that right. stuck in my head for, like, Ooh. a long time. Yep. And I was yep. like, wow, that's, that's really deep. That yeah. was really good. But, you know, that also goes back to slaves and and civil rights and stuff because black folks really just want to be treated equal right nobody's really? asking for reparations where is my 40 acres and a mule <laughs> that's what i'm looking for <laughs> yeah i mean so when what if you if people were just to really pause and look at black people just like look we just we just want to be left alone we you know we ain't slaves and asked to come over here we just want to be left alone and i and i really appreciated the way she ended that she, it was just like, we're just looking for justice. We're not, is, what, what did she say again? She said, y'all are lucky that black folks are not looking for, not looking for revenge. We're just looking for justice. Yeah. You know, that's, that's profound. Yeah, it was very profound. And she's very right because, it, you know, it, yeah, it speaks volume. It, it really, she did a really good job. Did you, did you get her name? Yes, her she name is Kimberly her? Jones. Yeah, I was going to tell Miss mm-hmm. uh, Thang over here to see if she heard Kimberly Jones and she could look her up on YouTube. I think I've seen people uh, posting about it. And I, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, and, and Andrew, you said something the other day when we were on the pre-conference call and I was driving down to Savannah. He said, mm-hmm. you know, why do we have to take a break from this? And I started really thinking about it. Like, why do I have to take a break from this? And for mm-hmm. me, it was so that I could put myself in the most optimal position to, to fight back, right? And so I think mm-hmm. it's, it's important to also note that fighting back for different people means different things. So back right. in 2014, I was all about protesting and being on the front lines. And that yeah. is so important. That's so important. Since yeah. this has happened, I've not necessarily been doing that because there are other ways that I want to find. Um, I guess I'm looking for other ways to be more effective personally, right? Because not everybody is meant to be on the front lines. Some right. people are meant to be working in policy or, um, you know, in police reform or whatever that looks like. Um, and I'm right. still trying to figure that out for myself, but I've had to just kind of take a break. So I've not watched it. Um, I would like to watch it, but I guess the reason I also didn't feel necessary to watch it is because, you know, I'm seeing buildings burn and like, is it ideal? Is it something that I want to see? No. Is it something that I understand? Yes. And so I feel like that content is more for like the liberal white folks that are like, Hey, we love black people, but black lives matter, but protesting is great. But, and so I just don't, you know what I mean? I don't find myself falling into that category. Um, so I've not watched it, but I would be interested to see how she explains it. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, it's interesting you did the way you said that because you kind of just, I mean, you're saying you don't, you do care about property and you know, what they're doing and stuff. You, know, you It's just like at this point, people are just angry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's got, it's gotten to the point people are just so frustrated 
that that's just you know it's, it's, that's how it's coming out you know you, right. you don't have you, you know you don't have to agree with it and i think uh maybe on our on the first uh, podcast with you know it's only we've only done one but the thing is that what i want people to understand about this conversation is that as part of what you and five oh does and i said it i think i said it at the beginning of this is and i'll be very um Harmony and I are very honest with each other, very open with each other, and she pushes me a lot. And, and as a boomer, sometimes she says things that go, I go, oh, because it's a little too extreme for me or radical. She's but, actually, you actually have said, whoa. <laughs> 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 At least I didn't fall down. You know, that day is coming, though. You're probably going to say this, it's going to just knock me on my feet. <laughs> but what I want people to understand that this space will, that I, I'm going to be open to hearing different stuff. And even though I'm going, whoa, that we all have to be at this table, okay? So we, we got to figure out to be able to be comfortable. So what I was going to say was, when I, again, when I go into people's organizations or wherever I go in and I, and I start out right out the front, I, I'm not mad at anything you say. I'm not mad that you can't stand the police. I'm not mad that you ain't going to never like the police. I, I mean, just, just uh, you know, as radical. And even, even to the point, I call her radical. but I also want people to understand there are people I've been in and they're, they're extreme. They're, they're, they're way, you know, as far as what it comes to relationship with police. And I don't care what I, what I want you be, what I want people to understand about what we're trying to do is people with the loudest voices against how I might feel need to be at the table. We got to be at the table. And what I'm hoping is that when they come at the table, that, that, that we are all at a place where we're willing to hear the loudest voices in the room. And then when we get up from the table, we have now found a new ally because somewhere in that discussion, there's, there's, there's uh, a bond of some, something is going to be there that we both want. So when you, you, when you hear, and I'm not trying to, I'm not, I hope I don't come off as trying to make an excuse for her, but I need people to understand that I have to have that radical voice in the room in order to keep me focused on what I should be doing. And she does that for me. Uh, cause I, cause I can hear some boomers out there going, Whoa, you know, I, I know that's happening that, that some people that may be listening, but we need to understand that we're boomers. This is another generation. This is how this, but she comes at it with a lot of love and we're just trying to make this space a place because so hopefully at some point uh, we will also be allowing people to, you know, uh, not necessarily call in because I'm, because I'm old, uh, maybe type in, we'll do a live one and people can ask any kind of questions that they want to ask. So I just felt like I needed to put that out there because I, I, I know how people can go, wow, that's a pretty radical position, but no, not really. That's just everybody don't think like a boomer. <laughs> you know, we just need to be okay with that and, and make this journey toward making the communities uh, that we live in, you know, healthy and safe and, and, and good, you know, so. Right. Yeah. That's really the, the point of it all, right? And I think that that's the intersection for all three of us and even Chris and Abby who are, who are helping us create this is the fact that we all want that, right? We, we want yeah. to, to be able to raise children in safe and healthy environments, not only free from police brutality, but free from, you know, crappy schools because of, because of zip codes, you know what I mean? So, you know, to the people that are listening to this one extremist and radical are definitely not mutually exclusive. And, <laughs> you know, um, secondly, I've, 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 how do I put this? Um, 
like you say, I'm, I'm coming from a place of love. I'm coming from yeah. a place of compassion, but I yeah. feel like I always have to play devil's advocate because it's yeah. really easy to almost approach this from a very conservative, not necessarily politically, but conservative. Like I'm afraid that I'm saying too much. I'm afraid that I'm right. being judged. Um, and, and BJ and I had a conversation earlier offline where I said, you know, not only are we speaking truth to power, but we're doing it in a way that's with love and compassion. And, you know, I do think that there is somebody that's going to be able to resonate with my voice and hear what I'm saying. Um, but I also think that there are other people that will be able to resonate with you, BJ. And for me, that's the most impactful and magical part about this whole process is that, you know, we don't think the same. We don't necessarily have the same views but we have the same morals and goals at the end of the day, which is for us all to be safe, healthy, happy, and, and get the chance for an equitable and um, happy life. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Oh man, I got to feed you real good next time I see you. That's like <laughs> <worth> BJ. <laughs> Honestly, can I just combine it into one? Can we go to like Ruth Chris when they open back up? Oh, Ruth day. Chris? Ruth Chris, really? This is a big I- ass. You can't say no on the podcast. This is true. Yes, we can go to Ruth Chris. Woohoo, you heard it. <laughs> yeah, it is in, into infinity now. It will never go away. That promise will never go away now. <laughs> yeah, Drew, you got any comment on that? Or what we were just, you know, how you feel? I was just listening to everything and just trying to, I guess, find my place as a Gen Zer, just in general. Like I've, I've, like I've mentioned before, just trying to figure out what place is right, um, where is it, what's right to say. Um, and I know something that we talked about in different spaces are like, what's what's the right thing to say without like ruining our future? Or like, cause some employers like, you know, look throughout um, social media and everything to see if we're too radical or anything that may harm their business or their corporation. So something that I talked with young professionals about is like how to be professional, um, but still be black, if that makes any sense. And, and finding yeah. a, a middle ground um, and, and just making sure that the employers like see my color, but also be, see me as a person, as a human as well too. Um, so I guess that's just the leaving thing. And I know that Harmony mentioned like something that we talked about, about um, just this being the age of social media. And, and I think that just during this generation, it's, excuse me, it's like the new civil rights movement, but with like with a phone, like with the iPhone, like we mentioned before. So there's a lot of people who are not on the front lines who are back and signing petitions and creating petitions and stuff for people to do behind the, um, behind the front lines and having people raise money for others who um, can go out there and do things on the front line too. So I think there's a lot of ways that people like my age and, and older and even younger, I know that I don't know if y'all saw, but there's like a little itty bitty little girl out protesting and um, screaming no justice no peace she looked around like seven or eight years old so i can find that it. broke my heart like you even mentioning that makes me want to sob yeah it's 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 on uh, have you seen that video before yeah i think it's a, it's a little black girl yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think i saw that yeah she was adorable so yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people... tiny pint yeah. size like right. exactly yeah out there early but i also saw a um uh, uh, again, on the morning, uh, one of the morning shows, the black female that's out there doing it, and just like you, Harmony, her, her, she comes from protesters. You know, people. You know, her, she's sitting next to her grandfather, who protests. I forgot where. What, but Obama, and so she's looking to him for guidance. And now here she, she. This is her moment. Right. She's, you know, she's she's looking at her grandfather. She's like, he, you know, he's her rock. And so it, it's interesting how generational it just continues to be. You know, right. that we got to continue to, 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 to the, the families and whatever out here getting us done to, to you know, to, to make it a better world. So we continue yeah. to get done. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that Ben Chavis is my cousin. So 
my dad and I, God rest his soul, and I would not say this if he were alive, he was um, initially a part of the Wilmington 10, but they told him to go because he was in the military. He was, um, he was a combat medic. So, I mean, when I tell you that this man was pretty much as radical as they come, and, and the interesting part was, too, that my dad was 49 when he had me. So I feel like a lot of times, like, that's kids my age, that's how old their grandpas are. So there's right. usually, like, one degree of separation. And I right. almost wonder, because there wasn't that degree of separation, if that's why, you know, I am as passionate as I am. <laughs> Right. Um, and one interesting part from the last podcast that I thought was really interesting is that we all talked about the talk, right? And like remembering or not remembering when we got that talk. And I don't even think that I, I had the talk. It was like, it was understood. Oh, okay. Wow. And I wonder, you know, how many of us even not necessarily even with police, but when we're learning to navigate different situations, like really expensive stores or academia, for instance, and I'm sure Drew, you can identify with this. Um, you know, at UNCG's campus, even though it is fairly progressive, um, is just these understandings of how you're supposed to act and behave in public, especially around white folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a big conversation at my school now, because I guess it depends, honestly, depends on, on the semester. But right now, I believe we're at MSI, which considers a minority serving institution. So um, there's different spaces that people can be able to speak their mind. Like you said, UNCG is very progressive, but also there's a, there's a big talk in my university that has, I think this has been the talk of the, since 1891 really. But um, like if UNCG is like diverse, but like not inclusive and, and what's like the middle ground in between the two um, and certain spaces where I have been the only black, black person, black male in my class. Um, how does that make me feel? How, how do I make sure that other students like feel heard because of, they may feel like, diminished because of their their spaces that they're in and stuff like that so I completely understand that too wow yeah and just and uh so kind of where well just you know we can kind of start winding this down but you kind of talk you know that you didn't have the talk you know about how to act in front of folks so I've got I've got two but I'm only going to talk about one I'm sure I'll talk about it at some point in the other but I'm I want us to talk about our first interaction with racism you know, what, how, how old were you when you knew, I don't even know whether somebody told you you had just been on the receiving end of that or something in your gut went, uh, I think, I think I'm being looked at cause I'm black, you know, or I'm being treated a certain way because I'm black. I mean, when, when, Andrew, when, when did you, or have you had that experience yet? I'm trying to think of a specific, how many of you can think of one before I can, please, by all means. Oh, I thought of one right off the bat. I was four years old. So just a little background. Um, My mom is white, so I am a biracial female that, I mean, I was raised by a black family, so I self-identify as black. Um, I was maybe five years old, and I was going to church with my mom, and she... I have an older brother. So he was dating another girl at the church. So it was the girl's brother. And because I'm biracial, he used to call me a burnt cracker and would laugh and laugh and laugh. And I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that it felt bad. And I, when I finally was like, what does that mean? My mom had told me that they call white folks crackers. So a burnt cracker was basically a way to, to call me some type of racial slur because I was both. Um, and I just remember, you know, my mom didn't defend me. She thought it was hilarious. Everybody around me thought it was hilarious, but the way that it felt. Right. Um, and then those same, same church group, it was some white kids. And I remember I had no idea what a Mexican was. I had no clue. 
And they would be like, you're a Mexican, you're a Mexican, and would pick on me and call me Mexican because I was pretty dark at the time. I spent a lot of time outside. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had no idea. You know, I didn't know that, you know, Mexico was a place that, hell, I didn't even know what North Carolina was. I was just, you know, five (laughs) out here trying to make it, learn how to spell (laughs) my name. Uh, And I remember just feeling so hurt. So when I found out that, like, Mexican people were from Mexico, I kind of had this, like, aversion because I was like that that was never a good thing for me to be called Mexican so I think that those were the the earliest incidents that I remember of of racism wow wow burnt cracker I think I've never I've never heard that term yeah I mean it's super weird but when you hear it you know exactly what they're saying oh yeah 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 I yeah but I just I've never heard it you know so I yeah, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't hear because I'm not, I wasn't raised around folks that were biracial. Well, yes, I was. I take that back. I did have some folks. But I mean, I just didn't hear that. So I found, wow. Andrew, did you think of anything? I think the first time that I actually remember, I remember in elementary school, I was, I went to the same elementary school that my mother taught at. So um, I was sheltered from a lot of things that could have happened, but didn't because she was there. And everyone know Miss Council taught down the hall, so they wasn't going to mess with Miss Council's kid. Um, <laughs> and I remember... Know that feeling. Yes, Miss Council, let them know. (laughs) (laughs) I think the first time would would be in early middle school where I I realized that I've kind of found my my niche and my group of people and I realized that we were all black and we're all in the same circle, the same we all look the same. Um, because I remember I had like a really close friend in elementary school who was a Caucasian female and we didn't we didn't really notice that we had a difference in skin tone. We just, we knew we didn't think of it um because we were so little. But in middle school when we kind of found our friends and found our niche and there was, I remember there was a time during lunch where I think we tried to sit at a certain table and they didn't they look at us a certain way because of who we were. And our, our whole friend group was a group of nothing but black African-American, um, of African-American females and males. Um, so that's when I kind of realized like, oh, that they don't want us to see her. They don't, they're looking at us any different because of, because we're black. And I think that's the kind of the first thing they kind of like, oh, so this is what this looks like. And it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I think that's like my first experience with it. What grade was that? Six sixth grade mm-hmm. wow wow that's amazing yeah i uh my first was uh in bethel north carolina they had a five and dime and we would go there for groceries from town and all this kind of stuff and that was i, I don't know whether i was you know you we were at the point we were old enough where the grocery store was across the street to be able to allow to go to the five and dime to get get some little cheap stuff right and i, I wasn't maybe eight or nine maybe right and as soon as you walk in the store it's this white guy and it's one of the, i mean clearly because i'm a boomer it's that old five and dime store you walk in and it's those old wooden floors right and i mean it's just and we my brother and i would just be walking down the aisle and all of a sudden the guy that was up front is now down there in the other end of the aisle looking at us or we've turned another aisle and he's still looking at us you know and it was just and you even at that age like you guys you it's nothing that they anybody says it's a feeling you know they're looking at you you know you you, there's there's no there's no way to explain that and i don't even know what that goes back to what you were saying with the woman with the ptsd is that a gene because how at that age because up until that point i mean how would i know that but i could tell well i'll put it like this you may not have been able to identify it by word but you knew it was uncomfortable Mm-hmm. The way they were looking at you, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I'm not an eight-year-old going to say, you know, that guy was looking at me because I was black. I just know that that was uncomfortable. 
Right. And I knew every time I moved in the store, there he was. And I got my little money in my hand to buy whatever this little cheap stuff you got in here. I'm all buying <laughs> stuff. I'm not stealing anything. And so, yeah, so we, we all have those. And we'll, you know, we'll probably, hopefully we'll just, you know, as we move through this, we'll also talk about stuff like that um, and how it impacts us and how it impacts everything. So, you know, I, I appreciate everybody. Uh, let's go ahead and, and um, this has been a good conversation. I do believe this is the civil rights of 2020. Uh, and uh, Andrew, I really appreciate you, you know, talking about the fact you know, what youth are doing now and they're having these conversations as to what, what is it going to mean for me and what am I going to be saying when I get older to my kids and then also having to navigate this social media stuff with businesses, pitches come up and there you are doing something or caught doing something or posting something. It's a lot to navigate that in this moment because you want to be successful, you want to raise a family, but you also want to get out here and, and be active in the community in some form or fashion. And there are a lot of other stuff to, to, to do that. You know, like you said, raising money, you know, being the organizer, being the one that takes the concerns and issues to, to the groups, to, to, the, to the government or to the police department and figure out th those are, you know, like I said, everybody's not, you know, fit to go out, out front. I mean, every, everybody's got their place and, and, um, where we want to be is helping that conversation and understanding uh, that along the way. So, um, so any, what we hope for the, the next time that we're going to have a guest who's going to be uh, Stephen Chalmers on the, uh, the 29th is going to be June 29th will be our next part release of podcast. And we'll have uh, Steve Chalmers, who was a, is a retired Durham city police chief. And basically what he's going to talk about uh, is, it kind of still staying on that theme of civil rights, uh, a fact that at some point black folks were allowed to be the popo. And what did that look like, you know, as we move forward? Because uh, they, they, they let us be police officers. And uh, so what does that look like uh, as it comes to policing black communities? So we are going to have that conversation on the next uh, podcast. So, uh, Andrew, you got anything? Close out? <laughs> Just anybody listening, just stay up. If you know what that term means, stay up just means to be positive, keep going. But I just like to use the phrase stay up. Just do your best to stay up. That's basically it. Cool. Stay positive. Yeah. What you got, Ms. Millennial? Andrew, I just absolutely adore you. You have brought so many poignant points. And the other day you talked about, not even the other day, the last podcast, you talked about like the necessity to pay attention to like mental health. So I think my, my words would be pay attention to your mental health, pay attention to your body, pay attention to what it is that you need. Um, I had to make the tough decision to not protest because I'm immunocompromised to have lupus. So I probably don't need to be out there with thousands of people that might expose me to coronavirus. Um, so you know what I mean? Like just, just learning to be kind to yourself, to be compassionate to yourself. Um, especially right now, because like we discussed, this is trauma. It does have implications on your mind, on your body, on your spirit. And if you are feeling heavy right now, it, it makes sense. And you're valid in that experience. Um, yeah, and we're in this together, black, white, red, purple, gay, straight, trans, non-binary. Um, this is not a secular movement. This is not an individual movement. This is one that requires all of us to get up, be mobilized, to call each other out, to call ourselves out. Um, and to hopefully just be conscious and, and more kind human beings, myself included. Right. Yeah, cool. Thanks. 
I appreciate it. I didn't do this the last time, but, you know, if, if you are so inclined, those of you that listen, follow us on Facebook and go visit our website. Um, and we'll be out there doing some, you know, social media stuff to keep up. And, and if you feel like you need some guidance on how to help, you know, do what you need to do for police reform or working in the community, if you feel like this is something to help folks interact and navigate law enforcement, uh, Give us a shout and, and uh, take a take a look. So um, thanks, Harmony and Drew. I really appreciate it. And so we will be back here on next podcast. I said it will be out on the uh, on the 29th, and I appreciate it. Take care. Peace. <laughs>